Welcome to the Paranormal Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Thanks for stopping by. This is the place to explore mysteries, investigate the otherworldly, and share stories of the inexplicable and the strange. You see, within the realm of our daily, ordinary lives, there is a paranormal factor always waiting to reveal itself. So let's begin exploring together the truly weird. Welcome listeners to this week's podcast episode on Ouija boards. Thanks for stopping by. Before we get started, I wanted to share with you an actual UFO sighting of just about a week ago. My son, who serves in the U.S. military, called me up in the evening and was somewhat alarmed and definitely excited about something. He related that he was walking home from the gym on base. As he was walking, he casually looked up into the night sky. He noticed a very bright light and wondered whether it was a plane, maybe, or maybe just a bright star. But as he kept watching it, it appeared to slowly start to drift horizontally in the sky from left to right. He said, yeah, you know, I thought at that point it must be a plane. He kept watching it. Suddenly, it shot off across the sky in the direction it had been drifting, horizontally from left to right, away from him. He said it was the kind of speed you would associate with a meteor, really fast, and it was out of sight in just a second or two. He, uh, he wanted to know, is it possible that a meteor can just stop and then move? And I told him, no, nah, I've never heard of anything like that. So we talked about it for a while, what it might have been, and we came up empty as to any likely answer. As we ended the call, he said, it kind of shook me up a little bit. I mean, I know what I saw, but I just can't explain it, Dad. Well, neither can I. If you have any ideas, drop me a line on the Facebook page and give me your thoughts. Thanks. And now on to the episode. You know what they look like. A board with letters and numbers and the words yes, no, and goodbye. Maybe there's a moon and a sun on the board as well. They come with a triangular planchet to glide around the board, usually with a viewing hole in the middle. Now, maybe you even played with one when you were a kid with friends or at a party. We are talking about, of course, the Ouija board. In this episode, we'll dip into the history of the board. Where did it come from? How did it get its name? And how did it move from being a parlor game to being considered something much more sinister? And then we'll wrap up by sharing some actual stories from those who used the Ouija board and came to wish they hadn't. We start with Ouija board history in the ancient world. The idea of using talking boards to communicate with spirits is ancient. Attempting to divine the will of the gods or spirits through earthly interpretation was common among many of the early civilizations. The ancient Romans used augury, in which specially trained augurs watched the patterns of bird flight, 
the ways sacred chickens peck the ground, and the entrails of sacrificed animals to determine the right thing to do in given situations. The practice of deciphering characters has a long history in Chinese tradition for telling the future. One of the first mentions of the automatic writing method used in the Ouija board is found in China around 1100 AD in historical documents of the Song Dynasty. The method was known as Fuji, or planchet writing. The use of planchet's writing as a means of necromancy and communion with the spirit world continued and was a central practice of the Quanzin school until it was forbidden by the Qing dynasty. However, the rumor the ancient Greek philosopher Pythagoras had a talking board which would provide the Ouija a hint of legitimacy is actually not supported by any historical evidence according to the Museum of Talking Boards. We fast forward to the 19th century. A spiritualist movement arose in 19th century America seeking answers in a spiritual, but not traditional, religious realm. It was significant from the 1860s on via the lecture circuits, seances, and other activities in which people attempted to talk to the dead. Spiritualism became a significant cultural force. In 1868, for example, there were no less than 150 lectures on spiritualism advertised. The movement offered solace in an era when the average lifespan was less than 50. Women died in childbirth. Children died of disease. And men died in war, most notably the American Civil War. Even Mary Todd Lincoln, wife of the president, conducted seances in the White House after their 11-year-old son died of a fever in 1862. The mass deaths in the Civil War in particular created a widespread desire to contact the dead and mediums began marketing their services in major cities across the U.S. It seems everyone had lost a father, son, uncle, grandfather, or cousin, and many families had to deal with bodies of their loved ones never being recovered and spiritual devices like the Ouija board answered questions that maybe no one else could. They gave people peace of mind. Talking boards existed years before the Ouija. Some pre-1886 Ouija boards looked like Ouija boards that we know today, and some didn't. Some used pressure dial plates in which you pressed your hand on a device and the pressure directed a needle to different letters. Often, early planchets had a hole in the middle so a pencil could write the answer. The inventor of the 1886 Ouija board remains disputed. Some credit a coffin maker named E.C. Reich, while others say it was businessman Charles Kennard. The most common belief is that Reich sold his invention to Kennard, though it's hard to know for sure. Reich later claimed it was stolen. Kennard stated he came up with the idea while sitting in the kitchen of his new house. He said he placed a breadboard on the table and held a teacup over it, the same way you'd hold a planchette over a Ouija board. As he watched his hand move, he realized he'd found a way to access his subconscious. Kennard began pitching his new invention to investors in Baltimore. Elijah Bond, a local attorney who claimed his sister-in-law was a strong medium, took an interest and a partnership was formed. The Ouija board, made and sold by Kennard and his new colleague, Elijah Bond, represented a step forward for talking boards. 
its design, an arc of letters, a planchet, and handy yes, no, and goodbye prompts, was unique at the time. How did the name Ouija come about? That name came courtesy of Helen Peters, Elijah Bond's sister-in-law. She had a reputation as a medium, so on April 25, 1890, she had a session in Baltimore with the two entrepreneurs and the board. According to the letters and journals of the group, they asked the board what it wanted to be called. It spelled out O-U-I-J-A, Ouija. When they asked what it meant, it spelled good luck. But there may be a more practical explanation for the name. After the name Ouija was spelled out to the participants, Peters revealed she was wearing a locket she claimed had Ouija written on it. It's believed she might have been wearing a locket that had Ouida on it, O-U-I-D-A, the name of an English novelist she was fond of, and Ouija was just a misreading of Ouida. There was also an exotic appeal to the name, which was meant to sound Egyptian. When the game earned a patent in 1890, it was actually called an Egyptian luck board. Egypt was in vogue at the time with some spiritualist and performance circles. The story of how the group earned their patent is an interesting one, knowing that if they couldn't prove that the board worked, they wouldn't get the patent. Bond brought Helen Peters to the patent office in Washington with him when he filed his application. There, the chief patent officer demanded a demonstration. If the board could accurately spell out his name, which was supposed to be unknown to Bond and Peters, he'd allow the patent to proceed. They all sat down, communed with the spirits, and the planchet faithfully spelled out the patent officer's name. Whether or not it was mystical spirits or the fact that Bond, as a patent attorney, may have just known the man's name, is unclear. But on February 10, 1891, a white-faced and visibly shaken patent officer awarded Bond a patent for his new toy or game. Shrouding the product in an air of mystery, it was a big moneymaker. By 1892, the Canard Novelty Company went from one factory in Baltimore to two in Baltimore, two in New York, two in Chicago, and one in London. However, by 1893, Canard and Bond were out of the business owing to internal pressures. By this time, William Fold, who'd gotten in on the ground floor of the fledgling company as an employee and stockholder, began running the company. In 1898, with the blessing of a Colonel Bowie, the majority stakeholder and one of only two remaining original investors, he licensed the exclusive rights to make the board. What followed were boom years for Fold, and in 1919, Bowie sold the remaining business interests in Ouija to Fold, his protege, for just one dollar. It is entirely possible you wouldn't even know about Ouija boards if it weren't for Fold's extraordinary talents as a marketer. He started selling the boards through the Sears and Roebuck catalog and other high-profile sellers. During the Great Depression, the Fold Company owned new factories to meet demand for the boards. Over five months in 1944, a single New York department store sold 50,000 of them. In 1967, the year after Parker Brothers bought the game from the Fold Company, two million boards were sold, outselling even Monopoly. But the board started to acquire a sinister reputation almost immediately after its production. In 1919, 
J.G. Rappert published a book called The New Black Magic and the Truth About the Ouija Board, in which he reported doctors had told him about three people for whom the use of the Ouija Board had brought about a state of dementia. In 1921, the New York Times reported that a Chicago woman being sent to a psychiatric hospital tried to explain to doctors that she wasn't suffering from mania, but that Ouija spirits had told her to leave her mother's dead body in the living room for 15 days before burying her in the backyard. In 1930, newspaper readers read accounts of two women in Buffalo, New York, who murdered another woman supposedly on the encouragement of Ouija board messages. And in 1958, a Connecticut court decided not to honor the Ouija board will of Mrs. Helen Peck, who left only $1,000 to two former servants and an incredible $152,000 to Mr. John Gale Forbes, a lucky but disembodied spirit who'd contacted her via the Ouija board. Now, two very strange occurrences happened involving two of the original people involved with the product. Now a millionaire, William Fold, continued to open new factories, building the largest, a three-story building in Baltimore, after the Ouija board itself told him to prepare for big business. In early 1927, he went up to the roof of the building to supervise the placement of a flagpole. According to the Baltimore Sun, he was standing near the edge of the roof, grasping an iron support of the pole to steady himself, the workman said, when the support suddenly pulled away and he toppled over backward. Fold fell to the sidewalk below, breaking several ribs. On the way to the hospital, the vehicle hit a bump, sending one of the fractured bones through his heart, and he died. Medium Helen Peters wanted nothing more to do with it after the board caused serious damage to her family. When some Civil War family heirlooms went missing from her home, she asked the Ouija board who had taken them. According to her grandson, the board indicated a member of the family. Half the family believed it and half the family said, that's BS, including Helen, he said. The event created a conflict that was never resolved and tore the family apart. After the fight, Peters sold all of her stock in the company. Until her dying day, she told everyone, don't play the Ouija board because it lies. Right up to the 1970s, the Ouija board was basically considered a mysterious but harmless board game and parlor fun. But that all changed in 1973 with the release of the movie the Exorcist. After The Exorcist, in which actress Linda Blair's character Reagan explains to her mom how she used the family's Ouija board to ask questions of Captain Howdy, the demon who eventually takes possession of her soul, the board's occult status was sealed. Almost overnight, the Ouija board became a tool of the devil and, for that matter, also a tool of horror writers and movie makers. It began popping up in scary movies, usually opening the door to evil. The following years saw the Ouija board denounced by religious groups as Satan's preferred method of communication. For example, Catholic.com called the Ouija board far from harmless. After Hasbro acquired the board from Parker Brothers in 1991, it still sold hundreds of thousands of them, 
but the reasons why people were buying them had changed significantly. Ouija boards were now spooky rather than spiritual and carried a distinct aspect of danger. However, even as recent as 2014, sales in the UK were up 300%. Now, is there a possibly more rational or even scientific answer to the Ouija board? Recent research from the University of British Columbia shows it actually does work, just not in maybe the way we would assume. Their studies suggest the use of the Ouija board may be tied to something known as the idiomotor effect, which refers to the influence of the unconscious mind on muscle movements. Simply put, it means the unconscious mind is moving the planchet. Still, it's hard to overcome the general societal belief that Ouija boards are supernatural and associated with harmful and even evil effects. And in truth, some actual events, as we will soon see, are hard to explain. The descendants of William Fold went up to the Poconos for a golfing trip one year, and there was a conference of priests taking place at the same hotel where they were staying. One of them ended up telling a group of priests they were talking with that the family once made the Ouija board. All the priests immediately started making little crosses with their fingers. Kathleen Fold said, Every time we saw those priests in the elevator or wherever, they'd start making those crosses with their fingers. Now, whether or not you believe the theory of the idiomotor effect, it's hard to dismiss some of the strange and inexplicable things that have happened during actual use of the Ouija board. The following stories are factual and real according to those relating the stories. Uh, I, I have a story happened to a group of guys I knew. I was told this by one of the guys in the group. He was so spooked, he told his sister and me because it was really bothering him. He didn't tell us everything, but it still gave us the heebie-jeebies. So these guys are in a band. They always went to one kid's house because he lived out in the boonies where they could play as loud as they wanted. I guess the mom was gone for the weekend, so they had the place to themselves, and one kid brought along a Ouija board. They screwed around with it trying to scare one another, but... When they kept playing, they realized after a while they had all stopped and it was doing things on its own. Supposedly, they talked to bad people. My friend's brother didn't want to talk about what was said, but he was scared. He said when they had enough, they tore it in half and threw the pieces in the creek nearby. Well, the next day they found it, both pieces, in front of the garage door. They freaked out and burned it in the pit. Sorry, no, no story of the interaction, but it still creeped me out. After talking to him, the brother went to church for a while with my family. My, uh, my cousin started a fire in my grandma's basement. All the games, including the Ouija board, went under a sofa down there, and everything was incinerated. I mean, the sofa, all the other games, they were ashes. The Ouija board wasn't even singed. We still have it in the original box, also not singed, and that's over 23 years ago. We don't really play with it 
All the adults are scared of it. Uh, this happened when I was in the Marine Corps in 1991, and it really freaked me out. I, I was living in a four-man room, sitting reading a book while my two friends were using a Ouija board. One of them had set up an old cassette Walkman with speakers plugged into the headphone jack, and the Phil Collins song, I Can Feel It Coming in the Air at Night, was playing. They'd been conversing with a benign spirit, I guess, when it suddenly spelled out, demon is coming. Immediately as it hit the G, the song slowed and slowed until it stopped, which, I'm telling you, sounded like the devil incarnate. I leapt up and said, screw this, I'm leaving, and took off. It still freaks me out to this day, even though I'm pretty sure the batteries maybe just died at the same time. Yes, I played with one with a couple of friends in middle school. One night, two of us were staying over at a friend's house while his parents were out. We decided to just screw around with a Ouija board. We did it all up, turning all the lights out, lighting a dozen candles, you know, all of that stuff. Well, we were just joking around about it and asking stupid questions, and of course nothing was really happening. Finally, we decided to give it a serious try and calm down. We asked, are there any spirits in the room? And all of the candles went out. No breeze or anything. All the windows shut. Just poof. They all went out. And naturally, it really freaked us out. So we ran around turning on all the lights in the house. I lived next door, so I took off and went home. They were kind of ticked off at me. I'm I mean, I'm sure there's a rational explanation for what happened, but tell that to a spooked 12-year-old. Justin played with a Ouija board one day with several of his friends. They asked questions, but instead of the planchet moving to certain letters, it began to move in a strange pattern. It went to all four corners of the board and made an X, the 32-year-old New Jersey resident said. Then it just went in circles. The next time he used the board, it was with a different friend at his house. Again, the planchet moved in the same strange pattern. You know, I felt like it was some kind of a hex, he said. Later that night when he was sleeping, he felt a forceful hand grab his arm and wake him up. Everyone else in the house was sound asleep. Is it possible that the Ouija board was forming a hex sign. Abby was in her room one night after playing with a Ouija board earlier that day. As she was getting ready for bed, her computer screen changed from black to blue. It had turned on all by itself. She turned the computer off. Again, the computer clicked itself back to life. Anxiously, Abby unplugged the computer completely and then the unpowered computer started back up again. She buried the Ouija board in her backyard that same night. Most people play with a Ouija board in groups or with a friend, but Oceana wanted to try to use it on her own. She put her hands on the pointer and asked questions, but nothing happened. She took her hands off the pointer and was about to put the game away when the planchet began to move around on its own. 
I'll never try that again, says the 30-year-old from New Jersey. When Vince, now 30, was a child, one of his friends goaded him into playing with a Ouija board in his basement. Young Vince didn't expect anything out of the ordinary to happen, so he went along with it. Once they started to play, however, the lights began to flicker, the air around them grew cold, and a spirit began to communicate with them through the board. The spirit spelled out a Russian name and claimed he had been murdered. We took a break to make some pizza rolls, Vince says, but we forgot to close the circle when we were done. Now, if you're new to Ouija board stories, that's a big no-no. After returning to the basement, the energy was much heavier, and the books and things were sprawled all over the floor. And yet, the board remained perfectly still in the center of the room, just how they had left it. Uh, Upon looking at a mirror that we had nearby, the eye of the Ouija board was moving sporadically in its reflection. The first time I used a Ouija board, I was about six or seven, and I was with my mom and older sister, who was about 15 at the time. Paige, now 24, says. The family had just moved into a new house, much bigger and much older than the one they lived in previously. That night, Paige, her mother, and her sister were eating pizza on the living room floor since they didn't have all of their furniture set up yet and they put on a fire to ease the chill of the fall air. After dinner, her sister pushed her mother to let them play, play with their old Ouija board. As we were using it, Paige recounts, a box in the living room that had some books in it literally flew across the room. Shortly after that, the fire inexplicably went out, and their mother was so shaken that she took the girls to their grandmother's house to spend the night. Be warned, some Ouija board stories can be violent. When Anna was in high school, she had a sleepover with a bunch of her friends. One of them, Brianna, wanted to use the Ouija board to contact her grandfather, who had recently passed away. The friends set up the board, turned off the lights, and lit a candle. They called upon the spirit of the grandfather, but when they did, the candle suddenly threw itself directly at Anna. She felt it was probably not the spirit they had called for. One evening when she was in high school, Sherry decided to use a Ouija board with her friends. Nothing seemed to happen, so they all just gave up. What they would discover later was that the Ouija board actually did work. Weird stuff happened in the house ever since that night, and to this day, it hasn't stopped, says the 29-year-old Iowa resident. We've had glasses move right across the table by themselves. I saw a spoon and a cup of coffee aggressively stir in the cup without anyone being near it. The sound of footsteps leading from upstairs down to the living room entrance, they just never stopped. When Tommy was a freshman in college, he and his dorm mates took out a Ouija board and had a threatening encounter with some very dark spirits. The dorm hall used to be a morgue, says the 25-year-old New Yorker. It was the perfect setting for a goof with friends, he thought, but they failed to realize how serious it could get. 
The planchet began to move on the board, and the spirit, or spirits, communicated to them that 83 demons would come for them. Well, I mean, the next thing you know, the dorm's haunted, and the girls can't sleep because stuff was turning on and off and messing with them. So they had a priest come in to bless the room, and it was good after that. That's why I, I don't mess with Ouija boards anymore. And finally, this story from Randy. Randy learned what a Ouija board was the hard way when two of his family members introduced him to one when they were all children. My brother and cousin were older than us, says the 36-year-old Michigan resident, and this particular time they had come home with a Ouija board. We agreed to play and to turn off the lights and light a candle. Randy sat down with his favorite doll, Kelly, at his side, nervously waiting in the dark. We started playing and asking questions, and before we knew it, the planchet started moving around in a pointed direction. It traveled the board, dragging itself to the letter K. It then made its way to E and L. For a moment, it paused, then quickly circled back around for another L before finally landing on Y. It had spelled the name Kelly. Next thing we knew, there was a a loud bang against the radiator and everybody started screaming. We turned on the lights and by the radiator was the severed head of my favorite doll. So there we are, listeners. You've heard the history of the Ouija board. You've heard about the scientific theory of idiomotor effect. And you've also heard some chilling actual cases of people using the Ouija board with ill effects. So what do you think? Is it possible that the planchet simply moves around due to our unconscious minds and fine muscle movement? If so, what about all of the external factors? Is it possible that our unconscious minds at those moments are able to affect external items, like candles and books? Or is it something else? It's one thing to be moving a planchet around, and it's quite another when a candle comes flying at you. I can tell you one thing for sure. I won't be picking up a Ouija board anytime soon. And now it's time for the episode quiz. Well, if you are familiar with our Facebook page, you'll know that every Tuesday is Quiz Tuesday. We put out a new quiz, and we answer those on the next episode of the podcast. So this week's quiz is what is a Wendigo? Is it A, an evil cannibal spirit, B, a motorhome handy for monster hunting, C, a Canadian form of Bigfoot, or D, a mythical Australian dog? So, once again, question, what is a Wendigo? Is it an evil cannibal spirit, 
a motorhome handy for monster hunting, a Canadian form of Bigfoot, or a mythical Australian dog? And the answer is... An evil cannibal spirit. That's the answer, an evil cannibal spirit. The Wendigo is a mythological creature. Some consider it an evil spirit. And it originated from some of the tribes of the First Nations based in both Canada and the United States. It's often said to be a malevolent spirit, and sometimes it's shown with human-like characteristics or traits, sometimes not. It is said to be able to possess human beings, and it's known for invoking feelings of an insatiable hunger, often the desire to cannibalize other humans, as well as often wanting to commit murder in those that fall under its influence. And if you've seen some of the images of this creature, there's one on the Facebook page, it's truly terrifying. I'm telling you right now, if I had my choice between running into a Bigfoot or a Wendigo, it's Bigfoot every single time. I hope you enjoyed the quiz. And again, let me, let me just throw out a plug for our Facebook page. We do a lot of different content out there. Mondays are always Monster Monday, where our quizzes, as I mentioned, are on Tuesdays. Wednesday, we highlight a paranormal book or film. And Thursday, we try to give you some current, recent news in the paranormal area. And then, of course, Fridays, we drop the current episode for the podcast. So if you haven't been out there, I really encourage you to do that. And if you do me a favor, go ahead and follow it. And give us a like if you would. Greatly appreciate it. And thanks to our resident drummer, Chris Wyman, for that awesome drum roll. Thanks, Chris. Well, that'll do it for this episode. A theme song is Knockers by Cinco, courtesy of Upbeat Music. Hey, before you leave, if you could, please do me just two favors. First of all, if you did enjoy the show, please leave a like on your favorite listening application. And secondly, if you liked what you heard, please spread the word. Love to have some new listeners out there to join you. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Keep your eyes open for the unusual folks, and thanks for stopping by.